Tonight's New Testament reading is from Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 13 and 20 through 25. That's on page 4 of your bulletins. Romans 4, 1 through 13 and 22 through 25. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. Let's join together and pray. God, we need you to help us to understand spiritual things. We need you to open up the eyes of our heart, all of us, that we might grasp who we are and grasp who you are, and more importantly, the son you have sent. So we trust you to do that, and we thank you in advance that you will. In Christ's name, amen. Well, over the last couple of weeks, I've gotten into this podcast, Serial. Has anybody, anybody gotten into Serial? I hear some people laughing. Um, and uh, I'm not quite done with season one, so don't come up to me and say, what did you think the end was with season one? But it is um, a podcast where they tell a story over you know, 10 weeks, several weeks, and season one is about, sadly, um, 
a 17-year-old girl in Baltimore, a high school student who was murdered, and uh, her ex-boyfriend who was charged, sentenced, and has been in prison for 15 years. And so the journalist takes up the story to see whether or not he's truly guilty, what really happened. And it's occurred to me as I've been listening how much of it revolves around timing. You know, was he in the library at 245, so that serves as an alibi? Or if he left school, uh, the school buses leave at a particular time. He couldn't leave until that time, so what time did he leave? Um, well, it takes this long to drive over to here, so he couldn't have been here if he wasn't there first. The phone call happened at this to All of it, the guilt and innocence of this man rests very much on timing. And Paul is saying a similar thing here as he talks about justification. It's really all about timing. When do you understand that you'll be justified before God? And by justification, we've been saying we mean uh, standing before God in a way that you're not ashamed of anything. You're totally accepted, totally righteous, legally declared righteous and accepted. That's what justification means. And it includes not only sinlessness, that I didn't do a bunch of bad stuff, but also righteousness, which means I did what I was supposed to do. It's both and. It's just not enough to be innocent to go back to zero. And so Paul takes up this question of why this is so important, the timing of when you think that happens. And it is very important. It's not just a technical question. I hope what we'll see as we go through this, it's a critical question. It actually makes the difference between someone who lives in guilt and shame and strives most of their life and someone who knows joy and freedom and rest and confidence. So let's this evening consider the timing of justification through the book of Romans. And we'll look at when justification occurs and then how it's received. Those two things. Now, last week, um, Andrew, uh, our pastoral uh, fellow, preached and rightly said that there were many in Israel at that time where they understood justification would occur on the last day, the final day. So basically, many Jews figured, uh, I'll appear before God, he'll get out his checklist, he'll go, okay, you're part of the chosen people, check. You uh, were circumcised, check. Uh, you obeyed the moral law, check. You did the sacrifices so forgiveness could happen, check. And then, they kind of hope that they're going to hear approved. And as you think about that, it has a lot in common with every other approach to God other than Christianity. I did some uh, time reading across different faiths and philosophies this week about the afterlife. You know, Hinduism, Confucianism, Scientology, Islam, uh, even into purgatory and the way the Catholic Church understands it, different things. And what you find, there's a commonality there. All of them have this view that I won't know if I'm justified until that last day. So my hope is I'm going to try to get as much pluses and not so many minuses so when I show up before God, he's going to be able to look down the list and go, yeah, check, yeah, check, yeah, check, and do that. And if I've done enough, I'll stand before him and he'll say, come on in. If I haven't, I'll either be punished or I'll be sent back to do it again, reincarnation. And I'll just try again and try again. 
And what we have to see here is Paul is saying something radically different. He's saying that the moment someone trusts in God's Savior, Jesus Christ, the moment someone trusts in who Jesus is and what he has done, they are justified. They are justified at that moment. They are declared righteous before God in that moment. It's not a wait-and-see righteousness. It's a here-and-now righteousness. It's not a wait-and-see righteousness. It's a know-and-believe righteousness. And that, my friends, is totally different, totally different from what you're going to find outside of the gospel. It's just, again, it comes down to timing. And while the verdict will be pronounced on the last day, and while its accomplishment happened on that day when Jesus Christ died and was risen... The day that you trust in God's Savior, you can be fully assured that you have been justified, so much so that the Bible will say you should talk about it in the past tense, past tense rather. You have been justified. Paul will say this in the book of Corinthians. When he's, and, and this gets into something I'll talk to later, the way justification has a lot to do with the way we're trying to change our lives how we're trying to live, because Paul will talk to a group of Corinthians that are struggling with everything from uh, sexual immorality to sort of, um, you know, uh, sinful business practices and all this different stuff, and he'll say, have you forgotten that you were justified? But we'll get back to that. And he seeks to make his case through the father of faith, Abraham, I mean, it's a brilliant idea. It's a masterful stroke because every Israelite would have said, Abraham is the model for what I'm trying to do. And he said, well, then let's look closely at Abraham. And he takes up this, what seems like a very detailed, odd question, when was Abraham circumcised? I'm doubtful many of you men have had someone come up to you and ask you that question. When were you circumcised? In fact, you probably heard that reading and said, what is the obsession with circumcision? You know, why all this thing? Well, it's because circumcision wasn't just a medical procedure. It was a commandment. It was an act of obedience. It was a way that you identified yourself with God's people. And so it was a big deal. And this is what Paul says. In fact, for many of the Jews, it became a badge of righteousness. Just like someone maybe in a Christian background might say, well, I was baptized, and that means something to them. But listen to what Paul says, and you heard it. You can follow along again. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? And Paul says it was not after, but it was before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a seal of the righteousness that he got by faith. Paul is saying it's critical to understand when heaven rejoiced and declared Abraham righteous, It was before he had done any act of obedience, before he had earned it, before he had checked off the list. It was by grace. He was reckoned righteous. And to make the point further, Paul brings up the Mosaic law. That's the law that came through Moses way after Abraham. And he says, and again, many of the Israelites, all the Israelites would have said, Moses' law is the gold standard. That's what you need to sort of follow. That's what you need to go after. And he says, look at this. The father of your faith didn't even have that law. There was no way he could be justified by it. Abraham was a demonstration that God justifies people through his grace by faith. 
Now, I want you, just for practical purposes, to take uh, circumcision out of your mind for a second and think about the thing that you look to for your sense of righteousness, meaning what is that thing in your life where you think, if I could have that, I could stand before Washington, D.C., I could stand before the world and feel good about myself? Is it if I could just make it into that next rung in my job? Or if I can make it into that inner circle, the meeting that happens behind closed doors, if I could get in there, if I could just hit this one number on the scale, if I could get, just get to this percentage of body fat, if I could get this GPA, then I would feel like I could stand before the world. I could walk into any cocktail party and feel good about myself. If I had a chance to get this person's approval, if I could just get this person to date me, if I could just get married, if I could just have a child, if I could have these things, then I would feel good about myself. See, that is being justified after. That's someone that looks to be their justification to be what they do in life. And the gospel teaches us it's not a wait-and-see justification. It's a here and now. The book of Romans will go on to say, while we were sinners and powerless, Christ died for us. We were justified. This is so different at the point where you are weakest, the point where you could not do it and keep up with it, the point where there was every reason for someone to say failure, at the point where you could not amount to any righteousness and achieve any of the achievements you want to stand for, God looked at you. He sent his son to die for you, and so he could say accepted, totally righteous. So what does that include? Over 10 times, Paul basically uses an accounting term to get this into our head. He talks about crediting or reckoning, reckoning righteousness. Now, if you have a job, maybe you get what's called direct deposit, right, where the money just doesn't, you don't get a paycheck and deposit, it comes straight into your account. And let's imagine your balance ain't doing too good. You've been in the red for some time. You made some bad financial decisions. You haven't been handling things well. You've been waiting for that paycheck to show up, not so you can get to zero, just so you can get even close to zero. You know, you're waiting for that 500 bucks or 1,000 bucks to show up, and you look at your balance Monday morning, and you notice there is 100K in your bank account. 100K. And you're confronted then with a the decision, right? Uh, do I call my office and mention anything about this? Do I take the money and run? You know, what do I do? But because you're such a wonderful person, you call the office, Right? And you say, listen, there may have been some mistake. You call payroll. Uh, I've got 100K in my, for my payment. And they say, oh, no, that's not a mistake. The CEO decided to give you his wages this month. Wouldn't it be nice? The CEO decided to give you his wages this month instead of your wages. This is what the gospel is saying, that God, the CEO, decided to give you the righteousness of his son, the 100000 of righteousness into your bank account. So you're not only out of debt, I mean, you are way in the positive. This is how God credits righteousness by grace. And it's not just, and he makes that same case where he says to the wage, and, and by the way, if that happened, I doubt you would be so proud to walk around and show people your bank account and go, yeah, that's what I make every month. You'd say, this was an amazing gift that was given to me. So Paul is saying, don't you understand? This righteousness is a gift. It's not credited. We're not working for it. You work for a wage. We could never earn that thing. 
And he uses David. King David did a lot of righteous things. I mean, he defeated God's enemies. He was there to help build the house of God, even though Solomon uh, finished it. He expanded Israel's borders. But here David is going, I cannot be justified by anything but grace. Blessed is him who is forgiven by the Lord. So Paul is pulling in some heavyweights to drill this point home. But what's important is modern people tend to think that they're justified according to their own standards. Let me give you an example. I was reading something today, and I thought this really just said it. The person in their blog stated, real guilt comes from failing your own expectations. You have to give it permission to exist. Now, that's a very modern and American way to understand guilt. You know, guilt is basically me not meeting up my own expectations, and so what I need to do is really just not own that, don't think about it so I can have a positive self-image. But, you know, that falls short, right? If you go into a courtroom and observe a trial sometime, what you hear is this, the District of Columbia versus Joe Smith, right? It's the standard, a higher standard, the standard of the state versus the person. That's a correct view of justification. See, the, the thing that's going on here, it is Glenn Hoberg, it, 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 I, it would be God's standard of righteousness versus Glenn Hoberg's life. Court's in session. I mean, do you really want to, you want to play that scene out in heaven? <laughs> I don't want to play that scene out. But if you're going to operate through this idea that I sort of failed myself and got, you're not going to get anywhere. It's not going to give you what you're looking for. The gospel tells us that what God has required is pretty plain. Love him with everything you got and love your neighbor in such a way as you think about them as much as you think about yourself. You care for them as much as you care for yourself. You're concerned for them as much as you provide. You get the point. That's the standard. And I think most of us would say, you know, you know I can't argue with that. Yeah, you've got to love God and you've got to love your neighbor. And we all realize we're selfish. If we're humble, we realize we're selfish. That's not all we are, but we're selfish. And so the gospel says that Jesus Christ came not only to die, but to live for you. On the cross, he's taking your guilt and punishment, but it wasn't enough for Jesus just to die. He had to live. Because you don't, you know, you not only need forgiveness, you need a righteous credit in your bank account. And this is Paul saying this is what the gospel has given us. But this is the amazing thing about this about God's righteousness. He doesn't just declare us righteous, he constitutes us righteous. He establishes, listen to this quote. This is from James Buchanan. Uh, the sentence of a human judge does not constitute a man either innocent or guilty. It only pronounces him to be so in the eye of the law. So he's saying, you know, a judge stands up and declares innocent or guilty. I mean, he might, the person might be innocent or guilty, we don't know. But he does it so in the eyes of the law that we have. But what he's saying here is that God actually has the power to constitute you as righteous. You are holy and blameless before the eternal law of God. God alone knows the true story. God knows what he has done through the gospel. And so, and we're not saying that he makes you righteous over time. But through Christ, he establishes you is righteous. So you can stand right here, and you must stand right here and say, in this moment, no matter how badly I live this weekend or how I'm doing today, because I trust in Christ, I am holy and blameless before God. 
It's his work. It's what theologians call, it's an alien righteousness. It's a righteousness outside of us. And I'll tell you, for me, sometimes that's the only thing I can hold on to. I feel so guilty. I feel like, man, man, I've been at this for a long time. I keep making the same mistakes again. I see my life sort of passing by. I feel so ashamed. How am I going to even come before God? And then I go, wait a second. This righteousness has always been outside of me. It's been something that God did for me. The ground of my justification is his love for me. The means of my justification is Christ's death and resurrection for me. So we don't have a stock market righteousness, but the great temptation for you and I is to smuggle character into righteousness. You know, and that's one of the reasons we don't go to God, right? I, I'm guessing your pattern is similar to mine, where depending on how you did this week with your character, we could directly look at that compared to how much time you spent with God. If you felt guilty, if you felt like you weren't living as you, you know, less time with God. Because all of us are going to stay away from someone we feel guilty in front of. But if you understood, no, I, he wants to see me because I'm righteous before his sight, that changes things. It's possible to be more, more or less Christ uh, it's possible to be more or less Christ-like in our lives, but it's not possible to be more or less justified. You're justified or you're not, and we're told he is. And this is the starting point for character change. Uh, this past week, I meet with a group of pastors every, um, every year, and uh, this year we, we met on a ranch in Texas. And um, on this ranch, it was actually where the headwaters of the river that ran through town. So the beginning of the river was on the ranch. And in this backyard, there was this beautiful spring with these like enormous trees that were growing out of it. Immediately, I was just thinking about Psalm 1, you know, because I'm so spiritual, right? I wouldn't just look at the trees I, immediately, but I was like, hey, you know, trees. Actually, I didn't come up with it. Now I'm saying my friend said it. I was just going, man, isn't this beautiful? But he said, um, you know, hey, man, trees planted by, you know, living water, Psalm 1, big and strong. But that spring was then the source of the river. Justification is the spring for our life change. It's the headwaters. Now think about it. I, I, I probably wouldn't have to prove this point. You understand it. Think about all um, the, the bad stuff that happens when someone is driven by guilt and fear and shame. If someone is really locked into guilt, fear, and shame, think about all the unhealthy ways that they'll live. I mean, they head into addiction. Maybe they head into trying to pay it off by working and becoming someone that's really significant. Maybe they throw themselves in bed with anybody that comes along. You know, there's, there's just a lot of things we do. That's just common psychology, right? Well, wouldn't the opposite be true? The person that understands they're blameless and righteous will create healthy, godly behavior. And that's the ethic before, you know, and it's not like, you know, a self-worth thing that basically is my standard. It's God's standard. And this is what the gospel has always taught. We would say the indicative leads to the imperative. What God has done for us then causes life change. If you and I would spend just one week saying to ourselves 10 times a day, I'm holy and blameless before God, we would live differently that week. It would change our patterns. But let me uh, get us to this last point. So that's, you know, how ju when justification occurs, but how is it received? And we've touched on this by faith. Now, I had us read Genesis 15, 6 that Paul refers to, and that is the first time in the Bible that you find the word believe. 
And I think it's so great that the first time you find the word believe in the Bible is when it has to do with an imputed righteousness given to you by faith. Now, in modern terms, people, when you think of faith, they're going to think about wishful thinking or a leap in the dark and a leap away from reason. That's not what the Bible means by faith. The Bible is faith is to leap from the evidence of your feelings and your senses into the evidence of God's promises and his security. Faith is leaping away from how I might feel and how I might see and what I might perceive and leaping to God's perspective. That's what faith is. It's not a leap in the dark. Consider Abraham. Abraham is 90. His wife is 90. He's, you know, he's near 100. And God says, I'm going to give you an heir. Abraham could not look at his body. It's as good as dead, if we read all the passage. It's as good as dead. He could not look at any other 90-year-olds having babies. The only thing he could look at is the bare word of God. And I'll tell you something. If you were a follower of Christ or you become a follower of Christ tonight or tomorrow, I guarantee you there will be some point where God will corner you where you have to trust his bare word. You can't look to anybody else's life to go, oh, it'll be okay because of them. You won't be able to look at the world and go, well, it's because it makes sense. Listen, a lot of God's word helps us make sense of the world. You know, it's not, it's not anti-world. We can look at the creation. We can look at what's happening morally in our society. Whatever it is, we can go, this reflects the wisdom of the Bible. But there will be things that God calls you to that are invisible, that are a reality beyond what you can see. That's faith. And so, God is after your trust. Any adult here that cares about a kid, and maybe you're in their life to help develop them. You're a teacher, you're an uncle, you're an aunt, grandparent, parent. You know... If, 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 if your little special kid comes to you and maybe you say, hey, I'm going to take you down to Yards Park and we're going to run around in that little pool thing, you know, and you say, we're going to do that at 4 o'clock, and they come to you at 1 o'clock and go, are we going to go, you know, they come to you at 1 o'clock, are we going to go, are we going to go, go, you know, at some point, you're going to want to say, I want you to trust and believe I'm going to take you. We all want that. God wants that from you and I. He wants us to know the heart. And so the faith is the end. Faith is end of one kind of trust and the beginning of a new trust. Faith is death to self-trust alone and trust in God alone, God primarily. Abraham was trust, called to trust in God, his Savior. Now, he saw that Savior dimly, but for those of us that come after Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of that righteousness was accomplished by him, our trust is in Christ our Savior. And there's a couple things I want to say about faith as we sort of round third here. Um, what does this mean? It means saving faith is more than believing in God. Saving faith is more than believing in God. The book of James will say even the demons believe that God's ex God exists. Lots of people believe that God exists. That's not saving faith. Saving faith also is not uh, believing in God grace in general. You could say, I believe there's a God, and I believe he's forgiving, and I believe he's generous. That's not saving faith, because it's vague. It doesn't dial down on how God makes someone righteous, Jesus Christ. Saving faith is also not faith in my faith or faith in my emotions. We sing a hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and I dare not trust the sweetest 
Anybody know what a frame is? What's that? Emotions. Thank you. Yeah, it's not a picture frame. It's emotions. So when we sing that, we're saying, I am not going to trust today in my warm fuzzies about God or the world. I'm going to trust my feelings are going to proceed from what he's done for me. It's a backward way to work. Now, uh, Tim Keller has this good diagnostic thing I want to put before you to think about. And he says, uh, a Christian could answer this question, why do you believe, you know, let, if, if heaven exists and God permits you to come on in, why do you believe he would? And listen to typical answers people give. One, because I've tried my best to be a good Christian. You might say I'm not a Christian good person. I've tried myself to be, I've tried my best to be a good Christian. That's salvation by works. Okay? A second one, I think I would get into heaven because I've tried my best to be good, uh, I've tried my, sorry, because I believe in God and try to do his will. That sounds better, right? I believe in God and try to do his will. That's salvation faith plus works, right? It's I trust in him, but also I'm working. The third one would be, I'm going to get into heaven because I believe in God with all my heart. That's faith in faith, not faith in God. And so those things really aren't faith. It's all just a different version of trusting in oneself. Faith is the instrument by which we know. I want to say this quote that Andrew gave us last week through J.C. Ryle, which is so good, it bears repeating. True, true faith has nothing whatever of merit about it, and in the highest sense cannot be called a work. It is but a laying hold of a Savior's hand, leaning on a husband's arm, and receiving a physician's medicine. It brings with it nothing to Christ but a sinful man's soul. It gives nothing, contributes nothing, pays nothing, performs nothing. It only receives, takes, accepts, grasps, and embraces the glorious gift of justification which Christ bestows, and by renewed daily acts, enjoys the gift. That's a wonderful definition of what we mean by faith, resting and trusting in the gospel. None of us are going to have perfect faith in this life. Paul goes on to say that Abraham didn't falter, and what he means by that, he didn't end up in a state of permanent unbelief. But to close out, let's get this in our head about justification. God justifies people before they ever obey. God justifies people not because they have faith. He justifies through their faith because faith is just laying hold of Christ. Justification is coming to God with the empty hands of faith, saying, Lord, I need you. The Lord is my righteousness, as the psalm would say. And it is the thing that sets the stage for powerful life change we're going to be unrolling this gospel for a couple more chapters, and then when we get to chapter 12, it's going to be like, boom, life change. Let's talk life change. Because it takes that long. You and I are so prone to believe in our own righteousness. Paul had to spend three chapters just hammering us on how we're not righteous. And so we're going to steep ourselves in this, and it's going to be our hope for life change. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the righteousness that comes through Christ because of your grace through our faith. I pray uh, for any and all of us who have been trusting in the wrong things that tonight would be a night of liberation. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us invert 
what we typically do. Help us to live out of the spring of justification, even this week. In Christ's name, amen.